You're listening to Coffin Cast. Please be aware that this is a dark subject matter and may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings, Coffin fans. It is I, Kristen. Where the heck have you guys been? Like, I woke up one day and you guys weren't there, and I have abandonment issues, you know that. Anyway, yeah, I haven't recorded in a while. This is kind of meant to be a surprise. Um, It's something that I've been working on since about Christmas, give or take. Um, Playing around with ideas and writing. But I was gonna just release this today, and or whenever you're listening. (laughs) We can pretend it's today. And just kind of surprise you guys. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Shall we talk about what a dumpster fire 2020 is? I mean, we can. I don't want to because it was a dumpster fire. And you know, since we're saying, you know, F you to 2020, I'm going to say F you to season two. It's over. So we're just moving straight into season three. We're going to just pretend season two didn't even happen. How about that? This season... What I'm going to do is I'm going to cover TV shows, movies, maybe even video games that delve into the afterlife and death. I do not know how scheduling is going to work. I don't know if it's going to be weekly, bi-weekly. It's more than likely going to be bi-weekly, but either way, we'll see. It's going to be a mystery. So I just kind of wanted to touch upon my absence, really. I don't want to go into details because you don't need to hear me bitch and moan about it, but... Like everyone, 2020 has been... That's all I got. Two surgeries. Illness. I lost a dog that I've had for forever. Not for forever, but 15 years in a very traumatic way. I'm not going to talk about it. Because I just... I don't want to. So I'm not going to. But it hasn't all been bad. But the bad has been really, really bad. So we're just going to say goodbye to all of it and move on. Anyway, let's get into the show. So like I said, season three, we're going to be covering different types of media that go into death and the afterlife. Not very surprisingly, there's a whole mess of stuff out there. Video games, music, movies, shows, it's literally everywhere. We are a culture that is obsessed with death. Mostly avoiding talking about it, but you know, you're a coffin cast, so you know we're gonna talk about it. There ain't no escaping because it's coming. So we're just going to make it a little more fun along the way. Today, I'm going to be talking about the latest Pixar movie, Soul. Yes, you heard me right. I am going to be talking about a children's film on CoffinCast, a podcast that talks usually about death and murder and crimes, etc. A Pixar movie, a kid's movie, a kid's movie about death and souls and life. But before I do, I have an ad for my bros over at Super Media Bros who are infinitely cooler than I am. Give them a listen if you haven't already, and if you haven't already, what are you waiting for? I'm Midnight Agent Raw, and I'm Okami. We are the Super Media Bros Podcast, and each week we give a comedic take on all forms of entertainment such as movies, music, video games, television, and much more. So put your shades on and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Shades on. We're on.
First, we're going to talk about Soul in its basic form and not give away any spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Also, I will warn you before we get into the spoiler portion of the show so you can skip to the end or just stop listening if need be. Or if you like to live dangerously like me, you can keep listening and have most of the movie ruined for you. It's fine. Also, this is my first time doing a movie review, so please be patient with me as I go. Feel free to give me constructive feedback, and I will leave my communication channels at the bottom of the episode. Soul is the first Pixar movie to not be released in theaters in the U.S. Because we're in a pandemic and most theaters are pretty much closed. It was released exclusively in the U.S. on Disney+. Plus. It was directed by Peter Doctor of Up, Inside Out, and Monsters, Inc. fame, just to name a few. Also co-directing was Kent Powers, who is a writer for, or was a writer, excuse me, for One Night in Miami, which premieres in theaters January 15th. And he is a staff writer on Star Wars Discovery. Kemp was instrumental in making Joe a jazz musician and filling out his life story a bit by using his own life experience, according to IMDb. Soul is about a middle school band teacher and jazz pianist named Joe Gardner, who is caught between being a teacher full-time and living his dreams of pursuing music as a career like his father. Jamie Foxx lends his voice to Joe, and he gets the offer of a lifetime playing piano for legendary jazz saxophonist Dorothea Williams, played by one of my favorite actresses, Angela Bassett. But to do so, he will have to turn down a recent offer to be a full-time teacher with more money, more benefits, and more stability. But of course, in the words of John Lennon, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, and in Joe's case... It comes in the form of an open pothole as he's crossing the street. See, that's not a spoiler, though, because it's literally in the trailer, so don't come at me. Joe finds himself in limbo and decides that he is not ready to die. He is on the cusp of the biggest gig of his life, and he needs to see it through. But as you can imagine, it doesn't quite work that way. Instead of going to the great beyond, as they refer to it, he tries to run and falls through what I can only guess is space and time to the great before where souls that haven't been born yet reside. They mistake him for a mentor, which are departed souls that mentor new souls in defining the spark that makes them ready for life. But this causes a problem. You see, the soul accountant, played by another one of my favorite actresses, Rachel House, notices that there is a soul missing from the group that's supposed to be heading to the great beyond. Well, if you know her from her turns in Hunt for the Wilder People or Thor Ragnarok, she don't play. She will hunt you down to the ends of the universe and then some. She's like the Terminator. She is relentless. I'm quoting Hunt for the Wilder People there. Meanwhile, Joe gets lumped into the mentors and takes the identity of a psychiatrist and is assigned to the Great Before's most stubborn resident, number 22, played by Tina Fey. To give you just an idea of how long 22 has been at this, the soul named before her was in the millions. Just saying. 22 does not want to leave the great before. It's easy for her there. She likes the freedom she has. And she has yet to earn her spark, which is the last piece she needs to get to Earth. As they are looking back at his life, Joe sees that he isn't completely dead, only in a coma, and decides he needs to get back at any cost. The two strike up a bargain to keep safe in the great before and get him back to his life on Earth. But naturally, things don't go as planned, and the two have to work together to make things right again before it's too late. 
Now, I'm going to stop here before continuing because I don't want to spoil anything. And I will start by saying, if you're looking for the usual Pixar fare of heavy subjects softened up for kids, you're actually going to be disappointed. However, this does not mean that it's a bad movie. This doesn't feel like a kid's movie whatsoever. It's animated, of course, and has a few silly moments, but that's really as far as it goes. The movie's humor is dry and somewhat sarcastic. And that's kind of why I love it. Don't get me wrong, I like the sweet stuff too, but this movie goes much deeper and darker than most Pixar movies tend to go. But you know me, I appreciate deep and dark. I was also able to watch this with my 13-year-old, and he enjoyed it as well, and we both agreed that it felt more grown up. I highly recommend the movie, but I do recommend being prepared to question your own mortality, your purpose in life, your own soul, what happens when we die. I mean, that's what I do on a regular basis, because that's who I am. I do think this may bring up questions in younger kids that might be hard to answer. Or they may just think the baby souls are funny and not worry about it. So my review is, yes, this is Coffin Cast approved, I guess. I don't know how to put that forth any better. I think I can think of a fun way to say it. I give it four out of five coffins. I really don't know. If you have an idea, you know where to find me. Now, we are going to be getting into the spoilers, so I will give you some time to turn this off or fast forward to the close. So. Just hang tight and then decide if you want to keep going or stop or whatever. Just make up your mind. So, okay. You're still here. So I'm assuming you want to hear the spoilers. Just in case, I am giving you one more chance to back out. Are you sure? Are you sure you're sure? All right, let's go. So back to how the great before situation works. Souls, before they are born, earn badges. Their badges are basically their personality traits, different facets of being a human being, what they look like, what they're going to look like, where they're going to be born, all that good stuff. And they earn that as they go through the training process to become, I don't want to say a viable human, but like a complete human essentially. The last badge that they earn is the Earth Badge, and that signifies that they're ready to go to Earth. But in order to earn that badge, they have to find their spark with the help of a mentor. Their spark essentially, at least it seems, that their spark is their reason for living, their passion in life. For instance, like with Joe, it's jazz music, playing the piano. But you got to kind of wonder if there's any truth to that. Like, we know what our spark is before we're even born. Like, it's it's preordained for us. What the hell? Because I'm like 38 years old. I don't know what my spark is. And if little baby ghost fetus me knows what it is and isn't giving that info up, it's like, what the fuck, baby ghost fetus? That's not right. Share the info. We're a team here. I'm going to branch off from here telling you the story because I'm the one thing that I wasn't sure about as I was doing this review is do I just tell the whole story over again? Like, is that what you do when you review a film with spoilers? 
I don't know. So I decided, basically, since I love Am I the Asshole posts from Reddit, like I subscribe to the Am I an Asshole thread thing on Twitter because I just, I love it. It gets me so heated. I'm going to do the story like Am I the Asshole as like coming from Joe's point of view. So, quote, A-I-T-A, colon, I took a badge from a little ghost fetus after she helped me save my body, end quote. I, 40-something male, died. I fell through an open pothole and I was in limbo, or life or death, or something, and I tried to run away, but I fell and ended up in a place called the the Great Before. There were these weird Picasso-looking people, and all of them were called Jerry, even the ladies. Maybe they're non-binary. Then there were these little baby ghost fetus things everywhere. The Lady Jerry told me that they hadn't been born yet and they were all earning their personalities and things before they went through the Earth portal. But they had to earn their Earth badge first, which they got with the help of a mentor who could help them find their spark. My spark is jazz music and I had just landed a gig with Dorothea Williams. I wasn't going to miss this. Not even death could stop me. I saw my chance and snuck in pretending to be some German psychologist dude. Anyway, I got paired up with angry ghost fetus. Get this, she sounded like a middle-aged white lady because it was, quote, the most annoying voice she could find, end quote. She wanted to stay in the great before, and I wanted to get back to Earth. I mean, I'm not even actually dead. I guess I'm just in a coma. She was like, that's great and all, but I can't give you my Earth badge until I actually earn it, which you have to help me do. So I take her to the Hall of Everything so she can try out some stuff and hopefully get the badge and give it to me. She literally didn't even try. Everything was meh to her. Anyway, a guy Jerry shows up and tells me it's time to go since I didn't help ghost fetus. She tells him that she feels like she's really close and just needs a few more minutes. She must be a pain in the ass because he was totally fine with it. She takes me to the secret hideout place and we end up in a place called the zone. It's not life, it's not death, it's where you go when you're in the zone. Whether it be from your job, your hobby, a sport, anything. But also, in the zone, there are lost souls who have lost their spark. They can be really big and scary. But anyway, this hippie shows up with this big pirate ship and tells me he can get me back home. He is from New York like me, and I guess he gets in the zone by being a sign flipper. Anyway, he opens this portal, and as I am about to jump in, little ghost fetus falls in too. She ends up in my body, and I end up in some therapy cat. I try to get her to help me get back to Moonwind to have him fix it, And the whole time she's dragging her feet. I buy her pizza, a bagel, we went and got a haircut, we got lollipop, she even met my mom. As we're waiting around for Moonwind outside the club, she decides out of nowhere she likes Earth. I tell her that's because she's in my body, she doesn't have a purpose, she is living my purpose. She runs away and I chase her, and then we both get nabbed by some angry Jerry-like person who is actually called Terry. Anyway, somehow the fetus got her earth badge, and I lose it. I tell her it's thanks to me and no other reason. She throws the badge at me and disappears. Am I the asshole? I imagine you can guess where I'm going with this. Yes, I think Joe is an asshole. He is completely self-absorbed, and I want to lay out how. Not for just doing 22 Dirty, but here is where I lay out his assholery. Joe needs to trim his dew and decides to do it with his cat hands so that he can try to go earn his job back with Dorothea after he loses it 
when she sees him with 22 in her body mumbling something about pepperoni. You can guess where this is going to go. It's a big bald stripe up the center. So he goes and visits everyone's favorite in the movie. It's not up for debate. It's Dez. Dez is the hottest guy in a Disney movie since the tiger in Zootopia. You know the one, the one that was on the bus that would like treat you right. Yeah, that one. Anyway, Dez is played by comedian Donnell Rawlings. Dez is a barber and Joe says he is so good at it that being a barber is definitely his spark. Joe tells 22 to keep quiet, don't talk to anyone, just sit in the chair. Naturally, you can guess that that doesn't happen. One lollipop later, 22 is waxing philosophical with the whole shop. Des reveals he never meant to be a barber, that he wanted to be a veterinarian, but his daughter got sick and barber school was cheaper than veterinary school. 22 sees that a person can maybe have more than one spark or do something other than their spark and still be happy. Des says, even though that wasn't what he planned, he is happy as a clam, quote unquote. In another turning point, Des says it's nice to talk about something other than jazz. 22 asks why they never talked about his life before. Des replies, you never asked. There is Exhibit A for you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Exhibit B. Meanwhile, Terry is still hunting Joe and sees him talking to one of the guys from the barbershop who is played by David Diggs of Hamilton fame. And she opens a portal to suck Joe in, but whoops, she sucks the other guy instead of Joe. And naturally, homeboy is traumatized, but Joe and 22 keep on their way to meet with Moonwind. 22 is actually starting to enjoy life on Earth. She's kind of goofing around, still in Joe's body, and she bends down to pick up his hat and whoops again, his pants rip. That means Joe has to do something he has been avoiding. Going to his mom, who is a tailor, and letting it drop that he has a gig. His mother wanted him to take the teaching job, and if she finds out, she will not be happy. Also, just as an aside, his mom is played by Felicia Rashad. He decides he's going to lie to his mother and say he needs the suit fixed for a school recital. They get to his shop, and naturally his mother already knows about the gig. And 22 is Joe doesn't lie about it. The two of them talk. She gives him a suit that his father, like I said, a jazz musician also used to wear. It's a very nice blue suit. I really like the suit. Just pointing that out. It's a nice suit. He finds that his mom isn't as rigid as he thought. And if he would just be honest with her, she would be a little more understanding. And he would also find out her side of things where she's just worried about him and doesn't want to see him struggle the way his father did. So that's exhibit B. Basically, he's lying to his mother all the time and not trying to see her side of things. Finally, they make it to the club where they wait for Moonwind. And as they do, 22 looks around and feels what being alive feels like. She smells the air. She watches people. This little cedar pod floats from the air into her hand. And it's at that moment she gets her spark. It's not a specific thing like a job or a hobby. It's simply being alive. And I think that's the most beautiful part in the movie. That's the part that I relate to the most. I've had an experience like that where, you know, you just, all your senses are heightened and you just, your skin feels electric and you just feel like really present in that moment. Like the planets align and you are just there. And for me, yes, I'm going to tell you about it because you're here. You love me. You want to hear about my life too. 
For me, it was standing kind of on the edge of a... It wasn't on the edge. I mean, it was close enough that it was like kind of... But it was on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Just looking. I wasn't trying to be a daredevil or anything. I was just there. And you could feel the spray of the ocean just like hitting you as it hit the rocks. And it was just this nice tingling feeling. You could smell the salt in the air. It was the perfect mix of cold and warm, like the sun was out, but there was this breeze that would, like, when it goes over your skin, you just, like I said, feel electric. And it was like, I was just so present in that moment that I was like, God, I'm so happy to be alive. And I think that's kind of why that part of the movie really resonates with me, because I've had a moment like that before. Um, But now back to the story, and now we get back to Exhibit C of Joe's assholery. So Joe doesn't even seem to notice what's going on with 22 as she's like falling in love with being alive. He is too wrapped up in getting his whole gig situation resolved so that he can get his job back from Dorothea. He does stop as they're waiting for Moonwind and say to 22, he bets that she's happy to get back home, like trying to, because he maybe, I think part of him might have sensed that she was starting to like it there and he was getting worried for himself and wasn't really caring about what was going through her mind. But he did ask her what she thought of Earth. And she's very conflicted. She recounts the day, the people she met, and how kind of contradictory they all seemed. And she says she always thought that something was wrong with her, but that Joe showed her about passion and purpose. And she doesn't know if her spark is sky-watching or walking. To which Joe interrupts her and says, those can't be purposes, they're just life. He still tries to push for her to go back home and says, try again with another mentor. This isn't what she's looking for. She's been doing this for thousands and thousands of years, and nothing has done what being alive has done for her. This is the closest she's ever been, and no sooner than she says that does Moonwind show up, ready to switch them back. 22 is scared that if she doesn't find her spark now on Earth, she never will. And Joe, of course, dismisses her and says, tough shit, it's time to go back. You can find your own way without my body. 22 comes back with like a fuck you, I'm in the chair, meaning she's the boss, a callback to what Des said, and runs off with the body, essentially. This is starting to sound more like a Coffin Cast episode. She runs off with the body. Um, They run down the subway. And Terry finds them and opens a portal to the great beyond, which they both fall through. Joe and 22 are separated from the cat body and Joe's body, and he finds himself back in the great before. He and 22 start screaming at each other, and Terry comes between them and tells Joe that he cheated and he needs to go to the great beyond now. And it's time to die. She brings them to the Jerry's and they find, ta-da, 22 has got her Earth Pass now, simply from living. Exhibit C of assholery. Or wait, are we on C or D? I think we might be on D. Joe freaks out and says that it's his spark that changed the badge. And he did all the work. She doesn't deserve the badge. She doesn't even have a spark. The juries dismiss him and say it's time for him as her mentor to accompany her to the Earth portal. As they stand on the edge and look down at Earth, Joe continues to berate her and tell her, He's the only reason she got the badge, and she doesn't even deserve it. 22 loses confidence in herself and kind of just throws the badge at him, and when he turns around to look at her, she's completely gone. 
one of the Jerry's, um, the male Jerry, who's played by Richard Iwadi, who I totally love from the IT crowd, if you know him, he asks how he did it. And he said, well, I just let her walk a mile in my shoes. Joe asks what 22's purpose was supposed to be, her spark. Jerry just laughs and says, passions aren't what make a spark. They don't bring mentors in to give a purpose. And this makes him question what his spark even is if it's not music. But oh well, he doesn't give a shit. He just wants to get back to his life. Meanwhile, 22, believing she didn't really have a spark and it was all because of Joe, wanders back into her hideout, the box that she hangs out in. And she's depressed and she feels like a failure. So this is kind of exhibit E. With Joe back on Earth, he makes it to the show, but it's too late. Exhibit E meaning it's kind of a somebody else has got his job because of, like I said, Dorothea saw um, him, but 22 was in his body and she was mumbling something about pepperoni. She was wearing a hospital gown that was stained. She thought he had a nervous breakdown, so she hired somebody else. And Joe barges in and is like, if you don't take me back, you're going to regret it. So whoever replaced him got kicked to the curb. So that sucks. But she gives him a chance because she admires his arrogance. And he plays like the music is all that matters to him. He does exactly what he intended to do. He plays beautifully. It's a triumph from him. His for him, excuse me, his mother's there, she cheers him on, and he realizes he expected to feel so much more different. Even Dorothea tells him that he was amazing, but something is missing. He rides home and realizes that while he may love music, that wasn't all that life is about. He comes home to a sad, empty apartment and realizes he kind of missed the point. He sits at the piano and remembers some of what happened that day through 22's eyes, like he was seeing it all for the first time. His spark wasn't just music, it was people in his life, the experiences that he had. He also in this moment sees that he was wrong about 22. She had found her spark and it was for living. He starts to play to try to find himself in the zone and he gets there. Joe says he has to find 22 and tell her he was wrong. Moonwin explains that now that she has lived and is disconnected from her life, she couldn't stay a ghost baby fetus. She is now a lost soul. So they spot her, and she still looks a little bit like herself, but kind of like if if you've played Kingdom Hearts, you know, those heartless guys. She looks kind of like a heartless, but they spot her, she spots them, and she runs, and they lasso her with the ship, but she pulls down the ship, and... Moonwind goes down with the ship and he snaps out of his stuff back in New York and Dro follows her and he wants to give her her Earth badge back. But she ends up somehow running through her lair and getting back to the great before. She interrupts an award ceremony for Terry, who was getting a trophy for getting Joe and 22 back where they belong. She grows larger and larger and runs through the babies until she ends up at the edge of the Earth portal. Joe tells her that he was wrong and she was ready for life and her purpose and her response is basically to eat him so she eats him and he's surrounded in darkness but can hear 22 crying and replaying all the cruel things that she had heard from the mentors from all the centuries and specifically loudest of all is joe's voice because he was the one that meant the most to her 
he sees her in her original form, kind of surrounded by these big versions of these mentors, and he loses the earth badge, but he uses the seed pod that was still in his pocket to fight all the mentors, and he puts it in her little baby fetus hand. The scary lost soul fades, and he puts the badge back on her. He knows he won't get to go back without the badge, but he realizes that he has already lived. She's scared, but he promises to go with her as far as he can. This part's really kind of sweet. Together they jump and head towards Earth, and, you know, you can see her trepidation, but she slowly lets go, Joe lets go, and she continues towards Earth while he floats back to the great beyond. Side note, just want to put this out there, it looks like she's heading towards China specifically, Asia in general, so that's the only clue to the life that she's going to live on Earth. After she's gone, she's likely being born in Asia somewhere, so that's kind of a neat little thing, but we don't hear... We don't hear what happened to 22. I was hoping they would have some kind of connection. But alas, we don't know. Maybe in the future. Joe is more at peace with dying, realizing he has lived and he wants to give 22 that chance. So, asshole redeemed, I guess. The female Jerry, who I mentioned in the Am I the Asshole segment, is voiced by Alice Braga. And she stops him and says, they are the ones who inspire, it's meant for them to inspire, and it's rare that they're ever inspired by someone. She tells him that they're giving him a second chance. He asks about Terry, who they say they have handled, which is by male Jerry, fixing the tally of the souls when she isn't looking. She asks him, Joe, how will you spend your life? And he says, I don't know, but I'm going to live every minute of it. So there you go. I basically told you the whole story so that you don't have to watch it. Or if you did watch it, I imagine you watch it with your kids first or just by yourself or whatever. And now you get my little spin on it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I did this right. I have never done a movie review in my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. If I'm not telling the whole story, what do I do? Uh, It's like I'm Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. Anyway, so... All in all, I did like the movie quite a bit. Um, You know, it's not my favorite Pixar movie. My favorite's always going to be Coco, because the music. But, you know, it was up there. It was really up there, because it wasn't a story about cars being alive or toys being alive. It was something deep. It was about the human experience, really, and something that we'll all have to experience someday, a.k.a. death. But, you know, I did feel like... I think the point was that Joe was a, wasn't a totally, hmm, what's the word? He was kind of a self-absorbed guy. But I mean, who of us really isn't when we're just going through our day-to-day? We want to make our lives good. We don't really think about the things around us, the people around us. But he redeemed himself as well he should. And if you want to keep listening, I'm going to grab some fun trivia from IMDb and then we'll close it up. I'm not going to go into the little Easter egg stuff that's always in so many Pixar movies. They're kind of more fun to find on your own. Now, one thing that some people may notice is somebody that's in almost all Pixar movies, if not all Pixar movies, is John Ratzenberger from Cheers. You may kind of think, where is he in this? He is actually in it somewhere. The director, Peter Doctor, did confirm that John Ratzenberger is in 
this movie, but he doesn't reveal who he is. So it's kind of fun to try to figure it out. I haven't figured it out yet. Part of me thinks it's when um, 22 is going through the voices and then there's... Because she can basically be any voice she wants. She can sound any way she wants to sound. But she makes herself sound like an old man, too. So I'm wondering if that maybe is him. I don't think it is because it sounds more like Ed Asner from Up. But it's hard to tell. I don't know where he is. I can't find you, John Ratzenberger. Where are you? Here's some other fun trivia. Originally, Joe was supposed to be a white dude. Jobs that were kind of thrown around for him were scientist, actor, animator, and rock star. Then they decided on jazz musician. And because jazz music is such an integral part of African-American culture, they decided that they wanted to make him a black man. And Peter Doctor was aware of how black characters were portrayed in animation in the past. And he wanted to avoid being stereotypical or offensive or doing anything wrong. So he hired a cinematographer from non-animated movies to consult on how light plays upon black skin, um, how it plays upon textures of hair. Um, Not only that, but he also wanted to make sure that the African-American culture was portrayed correctly. So he did hire on several consultants, such as musicians like Herbie Hancock, Terry Lynn Carrington, and Quincy Jones, John Baptiste, and also educator Janetta Cole, and stars that were in the movie. So Curly, who um, was a former student who got Joe the gig with Dorothea Williams, is played by Questlove. So he was a consultant on the movie. And so is Divi Diggs, who I mentioned earlier, who was a guy at the barbershop who kind of busted Joe's balls, if you will. Also, a kind of fun part of the trivia, too, is when we're in 22's kind of secret hideout, you see a bunch of hello, my name is and stuff. It's from her former mentors. They're all over the wall. And some of them that I kind of want to point out that I think are cool that weren't really called out in the movie are Prince, Aretha Franklin, Martin Luther King Jr., and Joe Ramp. I kind of want to go back to old Coffin Cast roots and talk about Joe a little bit. Joe was a Pixar writer, director, and even an actor. You'd probably know him best as Heimlich from A Bug's Life, but he was a big part of Pixar's history. His death is a particularly sad one. On August 16, 2005, he was a passenger of a car that veered off the road and plunged 130 feet into the mouth of the Navarro River, right where it meets the Pacific Ocean, and it's off Highway 1 in Mendocino, California. I lived in Northern California at this time, and I used to drive on Highway 1 for fun. Um, It's very windy, bright up against the ocean. It's beautiful. On a sunny day, it's great. On a foggy day, it's absolutely terrifying. One other thing that I'd like to point out, the music in The Great Before, The Great Beyond, And the other greats was actually done by Trent Reznor. So yes, I am referring to Trent, I want to fuck you like an animal Reznor doing kids movies. 2020 is freaking weird, guys. (laughs) Also, the character's name of 22 is not only to illustrate how long she's been there, but it's also a reference to the paradox of Catch-22. You cannot find out if life is worth living until you, you know, live. So that's it for Coffin Cast this week, next week, or the week after, depending on when we decide to do it. I'm going to be looking into a video game that kind of fits our theme. And no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. 
In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at CoffinCast with a capital C. And you can email me on Gmail at CoffinCastPod at gmail.com. Don't forget, the only way to know if life is worth living is to live it suckers. I'm glad you exist. Have a great new year and we'll see you soon.